Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Hi, I'm visiting uh, Santiago de Chile, the University of uh, Catholic University of Santiago de Chile, and I have the pleasure to be talking to uh, Ricardo Rosas. Uh, hi, Ricardo. Hi, hi, Pepe. Uh, Ricardo leads um, Center for Inclusion and Technology here in the university. So I, I would like to first ask you, um, when you're talking about inclusion, what are you talking about? Oh, this is a very good question, <laughs> indeed. Um, we're talking about inclusive technologies. That is, uh, we are developing a lot of technologies for blind, deaf, uh, low IQ children, autistic children, etc. Uh, that will make there uh, to be included without many problems in the regular education, you know. And we began um, mainly with uh, technologies that help the, these populations in the reading acquisition process, because this is the really the big, big problem in some of these populations. Uh, for instance, the deaf population has really very, 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 um, it's very hard for them to learn to read because reading is a representation of the sounds of speech. And because they don't hear, uh, they have it really, really hard to grasp this process. And so we developed uh, a technology, a software, uh, which mainly permits them uh, in a very um, playful environment to have an exposition, a systematic exposition for all the possible um, possibilities, all the combinations of letters that are uh, typical in a given language, okay? Because all languages are different. And so uh, we developed the software and it's right now the world gold standard for the deaf population for their reading accession process. This is one example, no? Okay. And so we developed a lot of other things like that. Very interesting. And, uh, and so if you continue with this example, what are the uh, results that you have had uh, with this technology for the deaf uh, population? Oh, we can demonstrate that uh, with this technology, deaf children learn significantly more than without this technology. Because uh, the normal process for the deaf children to learn to read, you have to. We have to understand that for deaf, for the deaf population to read is actually uh, to speak a second language, okay? Because they don't have the first language from which they can translate their language. Because they have o they have only their first language will be the sign language. Yes, the first language is sign language, and this language is not represented in signs like all other languages, okay? And so when they learn to read, they have to uh, learn a sign and a symbol system that is totally strange for them. It's exactly the same as that we learn to read in Chinese. It's exactly the same. It's very hard for them. Very, very hard. And this is the reason why the deaf population, even a university or college population, or even professors, deaf professors, they can't really write very well or perfect like normal people, hmm? typical population. I understand. And, uh, so, and you're working with other populations. Uh, can, can you give some other examples of the population? Yes, we're working? we're working also with the um, 
blind population uh, because blind have an, has another difficulty. In Latin America, not no, in Latin America, Asia, and Africa, uh, blind children use uh, the slate for uh, for write. Okay, the slate is an, an instrument that permits to make a hole in a paper. Okay, and so you can read the braille. But the interesting thing is that a blind child must learn to write the whole word without seeing or perceiving it because the slate is making the holes, okay, all the holes of your name, for instance, Pepe, okay. After that, you have to turn the page and then write from right to left, turn the page and read from left to right. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is... Um, this is a, an ability that is very hard to to have because it implies a working memory capacity that does not have a child with seven years. You know, when you learn to re read, you wrote your name, P-E-P-E, -E, seeing it while you are writing it. The blind child has not this possibility. And so we developed software that make this uh, process very simple. Uh, so you can define always to write in reading form and not to write in writing form and then to read in reading form. You understand? It's yes. For, and for that you can, you need a software. Hmm? So once again, this is a piece of software that uh, you can use yes. to help um, blind uh, children yes. to learn how to write in braille. Yes. And even uh, we developed an app, a tablet app for iOS and Android, uh, for uh, teach to read for Down syndrome children. Okay, and we also have tests of that. Down syndrome children has another problem. Okay, they have a very thin working memory capacity. Okay, so for reading, you need an amount of working memory that is uh, an amount of four simultaneous things in your brain, okay, to understand the reading process. And Down syndrome children uh, used to have maximum three of these bits or bytes of information simultaneously. In the, and so you need technology to make automatization processes that permits them to understand the process for the reading to the communication. Because when you uh, learn, when you learn to write my dog is hungry, okay? My dog is hungry. My, you have to first recognize that this letter M sounds M and you have to imagine sounding M, okay? And simultaneously, you have to remember that you have the M and then the Y is I, okay? My. So you say, ah, this can, this can, this word can be, uh, can be, my, myself, uh, etc. A lot of words. But if you see a space, you, you know that this word is my. Okay? And then you begin with dog. The same process. But you have always to have a slot in, in the memory process, the, the previous word. Okay? Down syndrome children usually forget what they are reading. So they maintain always the, the actual word. Okay? And so you need also a software to, to bring this for them with many games and, and playing around the words and the 
and, and the representation of the world. Okay? It's like a, um, a strength on um, sort of attention or the process of attention or, or how it works? It's more than attention. It's also attention, but it's working memory. It's the possibility to okay. have in your system, in your consciousness, in your actual consciousness, all the sense of what you are reading. Okay, and so you, you need many slots uh, for this work memory process. And so this kind of things, and a very important thing, all what we are developing, everything, the, every software or, or app is totally free. Okay, are distributed for free in the web for the world. We don't have a business model for, for this uh, this is our business model, okay? We, we apply for big grants or for foundations. Uh, we develop the systems and we distribute them for free all over the world. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. And uh, we will um, share the um, uh, uh, URL of uh, your lab later and also in the metadata of the podcast so that uh, uh, everyone can, can go there and find uh, what you're doing. Um, are, are, are you mostly using um, software to uh, um, help uh, these uh, uh, groups um, uh, learn? Or are you using other techniques also, uh, like methodologies or objects? Uh? Yes, both of them. Mainly software, because software is accessible for everyone, everywhere. And so we don't need to deliver any other things to them, okay? Software is the easiest. Software or apps, okay? But we have also some kinds of uh, additional uh, objects or features. For instance, we have um, we are right now uh, developing, um, finishing the, the development of a software that uh, permits the our minority Mapuche community to learn uh, their language. Okay, because we have a big big problem. Uh, we have about one million Mapuche in Chile. This is our Aboriginal population. But uh, they were really very mistreated the last 100 years. So they lost, they lose their language. Okay, and so we have small communities that uh, maintain the language, but we have a law that uh, states that if we there is a school with 20% or more children from this origin, uh, the state is mandated it's mandatory for them to teach the language, okay? But we have a big problem. Regular teachers does not know Mapusungun, the language, yeah? And uh, the old people that uh, have the language has no idea on how to teach, okay? So we developed a software with additional materials, printed materials, that permit them to learn the language, okay? And also in a playful way, etc. no? And, and this is, we are testing it right now in, in the south of Chile. And it's very interesting uh, how, how the children, uh, because they have a lot of words, isolated words uh, from their uh, ancient language, and they are recovering it, okay, with the help of the software, because they are playing with it, and etc. No? And this is one example. Another example, we are uh, uh, right now also... Uh, finishing the design of an haptic uh, pen that uh, is a yarn pen that um, you can paint with it uh, in a Velcro surface. Okay, so a blind child can uh, paint 
uh, in the Velcro surface. And this is very interesting too because... So the, the yarn is applied to the Velcro and yes. then they can, they can touch yes. uh, the, the figure that they Absolutely, yes. And this is really, a, this is a world innovation because what they have right now, the blind population is always diachronic. It's not synchronic, you know. Or, or they um, put a slate in a plastic surface so they can paint uh, in a way that they make uh, relief in the, in the plastic, but they have to turn the plastic and then uh, perceive it. Uh-huh. Or with hot silicone, for instance, okay? So you can print, but you can't touch it immediately because you, it's, it's hot. It's hot, yeah? And this technology makes it possible to make it really, really synchronic. So yeah. the child can follow what he's painting. Let me ask you a question um, that goes um, uh, from inclusion to other groups. So I, I think that you, what you're learning in, uh, in your experiments, in your research, uh, uh, about the way that uh, human, uh, the, the human brain works, you know, the, uh, those basic functions of the brain, uh, can be applied to the general population. Is there a way of uh, translating that also? or? Um, this is a very good question. You know, uh, we definitely don't think that all the population learns the same way, okay? Because if you have a sensorial or intellectual uh, difference, it's clear and obvious that you have to adapt the ways of learning, okay? And this is what the software permits you, okay? Be- Technology permits you exactly the same, this, this thing, to adapt the learning process to the different brain. And this is what we are trying to do. And so, but we also think, and this is the, in, the most interesting part of your question, that we also think that children are um, communicating between them, okay? And so we are always creating technologies that can be used by all the children. Okay, not only by the, by the child that has a, a condition of disability, but all, for all the children. So our design, even the software for blind, is really beautiful, you know, so all the children can play with it. And, uh, and have you had some um, uh, results in, in that area? The, oh, yes, of course. Transfer? All of this, all of this uh, software has uh, empirical research behind it. With uh, populations from uh, particularly in Latin America, or yes, particularly in Chile, and with the software for the deaf, the software for the deaf has about eighteen different versions from different countries. Because I don't know if you know, but the, yes, uh, the, the sign, sign language, language is different in every yes, country. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. I know that sign language of Mexico is not the same. Yes, in Spain and, and Chile, different schools. Uh, uh, what is the the, the state of um, inclusion? Uh, if we can talk about that in uh, in the world, in the region, uh, how are we managing inclusion? Okay, uh, this this is a very difficult question because it's it is uh, crossed by deep ideological uh, assumptions. Okay, and I would say education in the Western world in the last 20 years has been, is moving to a total inclusion and a critical inclusion. 
when I say acritical is that it is supposed that inclusion at any price is good, okay? And we think that this is not true. And this is not true for two special cases. The first one is deaf population, okay? If you have a deaf child uh, from deaf parents, he has a mother tongue that is sign language, okay? And he is a totally typical child with a normal intelligence, with everything, has a own language, and if you include this child in a regular classroom, he's lost. Because he doesn't understand the language, he doesn't understand the written language, he will have no friends because he can't communicate with others, okay? And therefore, we think, I think, that it's better for, for deaf population to have special schools with contact, of course, with other children, but not including them in regular classrooms, okay? And I think what I am seeing in the, in the literature, in the congresses, that the Western world, mainly Central Europe, is being aware of this point, okay? That uh, inclusion based in the ideology of inclusion is not necessarily good for all the children. The second case is children that, I would say a general principle, if the child is better in an inclusive classroom, this is good. But if it's not better for the child, then this is not good. And for many children, for instance, for children with a heavy or very big motoric problems, it's also not so good to be in a regular classroom because they are, they are considered as the dump of the class, you know. And so these kind of children with uh, cerebral palsy, but heavy cases, they are also better when they're in the classroom where they have uh, pairs, you know? So who is the pair from a student with a big disability? Of course, another student with a big disability and not a regular uh, student. Hmm? This is what I would to say. So my answer for your question is, okay, uh, inclusion is good, but not ever, and not for every child. Hmm? It's a, a very interesting point of view, uh, and I, I agree with you that it's not the case of uh, most of the educational system where the inclusion means um, uh, bringing uh, those uh, groups with special needs to regular classrooms. Uh, and I, I, I understand completely your point of view, and if uh, there's research research that backs up uh, uh, the idea of, uh, for some of them, it's better to be uh, among uh, people that have the same, uh, I would say, uh, condition. condition. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's better for the, for the development. But my question here will be, uh, as uh, they are immersed in a society that functions uh, in a different way, how can you balance the development of the individual and then the immersion in a society that uses uh, spoken language, for instance, on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis, or uh, visual signs, or whatever. How can you balance both uh, words? I think it's very hard to balance it, okay? It's very hard. But technology will do this for us in the next 20 years, for sure, okay? 
Uh, can you remember five years ago how um, lovely it was to use Google Translate? It was a joke. Yes. Do you remember that? No? Yes, that uh, just uh, like a, a two months ago, I was uh, trying to find a translation from a word from uh, English to Spanish, and I, I copy and pasted that word in Google Translate, and by mistake, I copied the whole paragraph. Okay. And then I realized how good it has become. Yes, it, it is perfect. Right now, it is perfect. So from some language to another language, it is almost perfect, okay? And this will be the case with sign language in 20 years. I'm absolutely sure. And when you have it, the problem is solved. Because you, can, you, you will have the possibility in 20 years to interact with people from another language without, uh, without the need to uh, have a translator. Because it, the technology will do that for you in a transparent form. And this is very good because this is the way where people from different languages can have exactly the same access to everything without renouncing to their own languages. This is a beautiful world, you know? So that uh, doesn't work, but it will be the same for, for everyone. It means uh, what's, the, what's the use to learn a foreign language if you can yes. have a perfect translation? Definitely, definitely. But then you will ha have the knowledge from a cognitive psychologist who will say to you, it's better that you learn two or three languages because your brain will be more complex and you will be more intelligent. Okay, so so this is also the case, and and this interview in 20 years will be we two speaking Spanish and then all being automatically translated. And then in a better, with a better accent, I hope. <laughs> this is for sure in my case. <laughs> so your um, uh, interesting your your bet is that uh, um, uh, this will happen. Uh, the, the translation will be available uh, everywhere, and. Um, uh, you touched something that I don't know if you want to uh, go a little bit more in depth uh, uh, on this idea of uh, learning different languages like um, um, uh, muscles uh, for the brain. Uh, muscles for the brain? Yes, it's like a mom. Yes, do yes, going to no, the gym. Or... No, definitely yes. No, no, no. We have a lot of evidence of, of that, okay? Because a second language, when you really learn a second language, your brain uh, has the double of pixels, you know? Because you have, you, you can understand two senses. Uh, your brain is more complex. You can understand two different worlds. So definitely yes, and it correlates with intelligence, and it's very demonstrated that. Okay, so a, a second language is always good. A third language is better, and the fourth language is for free because when you have three languages, the fourth is learned very very easy, and so on. Okay. Well, I I'm, uh, switch gears and I go to um, higher education. And uh, have you done some uh, research or experiments on inclusion in higher ed? No, nothing. We work only with children. Okay. Yes, it's only with children. Okay. We don't make any research with higher education. Okay, not, um, uh, there's no program, for instance, here in the university? No. For inclusion? No, no, no. Here in the university, there's a very good program. Okay. The, and it's a very big and very, um, very important and very good program for inclusion for people with disabilities, and so you have to talk with them. Hmm? Okay. Okay. Great. Um, 
uh, when you're using technology and apps, uh, sometimes technology is a, uh, is a device also. Uh, how do you think that uh, uh, these people that need uh, these tools uh, should have access to, uh, to these technologies? Uh, if uh, technology is also a, a, a cause of division, uh, it's, it's a, um, an, another way of uh, dividing populations. Yeah, uh, this is again a very good question. I would say, you know, technology for the typical or normal population is an aid, okay? It helps you to make your work better. Technology for the population with disabilities is mostly essential. That is, it makes the difference between being or not integrated or included in the society. For instance, the blind population. You have seen a blind for sure, the technology for them is so transparent, so efficient, that they use the cell phone or the computer better better as the normal population because they are trained, for instance, in hearing at a speed that you can't hear. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they, can, they can read one order of magnitude better than we can. Okay, and so, so the problem here, Pepe, is not the cost. The problem is seeing that for this person, technology is essential, okay? They must have technology because this is the tool that permits them to be included in a normal professional or student or whatever uh, setting. It should be like part of um, uh, public policies. So. Yeah, definitely, yes. Like a, a wheelchair, an electric wheelchair for somebody with a cerebral palsy, yeah, it, it's essential. It needs this instrument, okay, and also a computer. So I would say, uh, I always say, the the resources must be fo focused on this population and not the typical population, because for them it's essential. If you have uh, less resources, focus on this population and not on the normal population, because the typical population will learn also with playing or with books or, or whatever. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask you um, more about the way that um, uh, you do uh, research and your, uh, the way that your lab works, because I will say you're um, um, a rare animal uh, as a researcher, <laughs> because most uh, researchers either they do like basic research or apply research or uh, Technology transfer and uh, and from what I understand, you are almost in all the spectrum of uh, uh, all that process. So how can you manage uh, to uh, work in, in 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 all that part with this uh, basic research for entrepreneurship, also spirit in 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 what you do? Yes, and also with the end user, because in in my area, the most important thing is to work from the very beginning with the end user. I don't know if you know this slogan from the disabled communities. They say, nothing about us without us. Okay, and this slogan, I find this slogan is very good. It's, it's very powerful. Yeah, because what they are saying is, please don't be patron uh, pa don't patronize us. Patronize. Uh -huh. Don't patronize us because we know what are our needs. And so in all our projects, 
the first session is always with the end user. Okay, and then we begin to uh, understand the problem. Okay, and so <clears throat> they say as their needs, we go to the design uh, of the of the software, and we are always uh, going back and forth with them, uh, testing their prototypes, etc., until we have the final product. And this is in all our products is the is this this uh, flow line because. Uh, we never go further with the development if we don't test it with our end users, okay? And all of uh, the, um, the design is full of cognitive psychology, okay? Our theoretical framework is in what the science know at the date of the design on how this particular population learns, okay? And so the contents and the procedures and all the activities are based on this knowledge and then we try to bring all this theory in a playful environment. For us, play is the central key. All our softwares are based on play. And then when we finish the, the prototypes, we go and test them and assess if they really make a difference for, for learning. Okay, and sometimes uh, we have very big, big and strong evidence, other times not so much. Okay, but we always deliver the product with the given information. Okay, so uh, for the design phase, is um, never about us without us. Or Nothing about us. Nothing about us. Without us. Without us, and then uh, cognitive psychology. Yes. Plus. Um, um, uh, plus plus high-end te technology. We use yeah. always the mm -hmm. the last of the technology and uh, play. Play. As learning... Uh, As a way of engaging. Yes. Okay. And then you test uh, the final version of that. But yes. Uh, the final version in most labs is like a proof of concept. Or no, something no, no. Like that. In not. your case, is not that. You, no, 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 you no. don't stop there. No, no, no. 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 This is very important. We think, you know, uh, this population needs a very professional, good design and products... Because the product is from the beginning special, but they need that this specialty uh, looks like a high-end product. Okay, and so we invest. Uh, we invest in design. Uh, our products must be very, very attractive for children, hmm? because they they don't have to feel that this is a prosthesis. You know, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Because they they ha they have a lot of prosthesis in their in their life. And so they don't like prosthesis. They like really vivid products. Hmm? See, yes, yeah, so, something that is more integrated. In, in fact, when I hear you about the, your process of uh, research and design, uh, putting the user at the center, as, uh, as design thinking does, try to yeah, do, yeah, yeah. does, do uh, I, I, I wonder why don't we do that in general in education, which should always be uh, uh, putting the student in the in the center when we design something in education, it's not always I the have case. an answer for that, because education is by definition patronizing. Interesting. Yeah. If you hear more of the children what do they want and what they need, they will for sure learn better and more efficient way than the things that we design for them. I will give you a, a good example of that. We designed a a series of inclusive books, okay? 
and we invited three deaf and three blind children uh, for this design phase, okay? And we first asked them what story they wanted to, to have as inclusive books. And they said uh, the, three, the three pigs story, okay? Okay, and then we began with the three pigs story, and suddenly one blind uh, child, a uh, girl, said, why are the three pigs uh, men? Okay, and we said, it's not a problem. We can invent a fourth pig girl. And so they invented this figure and they changed all the story, okay, including this figure. And you know, you don't know how important this was for the, for the story because the story ended absolutely different, okay? It's the, it's the same main story, but the story by itself is totally different, yeah? But it was created by the children, okay? And, the, and you don't have an idea how successful this story is be, between the children, okay? Because it includes a girl, uh, it's, it's more funny than the other story, not so moralistic than the real story, okay? Uh, it's, it's really more, more Latino, I would say, not so, <laughs> not so Calvinistic like, like, like the real one. And they changed them. And, and they, they, can, they see, and we saw that real, this story is far more better than the original story. Okay, and so when you have the, the freedom for change things that are given, you can have also better outcomes. And you can only have this richness if you include the, the student in the process. Of course. And you respect what they are suggesting. We always think that the projects are not our property. The projects are their property. Because we have to transfer them. And we will only be successful with transference if we are sure that our, <laughs> our collaborators think that this is a good product. Because they know the reality better than we. So uh, yeah, what uh, you're saying is um, something that goes beyond yeah, inclusion, in my opinion, is something that we have to learn from from you and your team on, on how to uh, take into account the students, make them part of the process, don't patronize them, and, uh, and, and have a more open environment uh, for, uh, for education, for the design of the activities uh, that uh, will be richer at the end if we include the students. I hope so, <laughs> because we, we learned a lot of these children and I think we have to hear more at them than we usually make. Hmm? Thank you very much, Ricardo. Uh, do welcome. you want to share um, uh, a place where they can look at what uh, you're doing, your work, the work of your lab? Yes, uh, the web page, you can visit our web page, is uh, C E D E T I, Sedeti dot C L C L from Chile. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you and congratulations for your work. No, thank you very much for the invitation. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx/edutrendspodcast. Thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Edutrends producer, Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. 
post-production Max Perez. Stay tuned for the next episode of EduTrends and visit Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content. <laughs>